Welcome to Ignite Church. My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here at Ignite. Really glad that you could join us this morning. And I got to tell you what, I am absolutely pumped about going through the book of Habakkuk together with you. How many of you have enjoyed getting to go through the little book of Habakkuk over the last few weeks? If you're new here or you're uh, just visiting for the first time, stopping in through town, uh, welcome. Really glad you could join us. Let me catch you up to speed. We are studying the little book of Habakkuk. It's in the Old Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And Habakkuk was a man who lived in real time, who lived in history uh, about 2,600 years ago. And he was a man who followed God devoutly and worshiped the God of the Bible devoutly. And like you, he looked out into the world around him and he saw brokenness, pain, injustice, suffering, disease, all of the above. And he was a little frustrated. How many of you, when you turn on the evening news or you uh, scroll through Facebook, you scroll through Twitter, you get a little frustrated? You get irritated because you look out and you see all the things that are wrong in the world, all the things that are just uh, waving this banner of rebellion in the face of God. And you go to God and say, God, how long are you going to let this happen and why are you doing this? That's where Habakkuk found, finds himself. Habakkuk chapter 1, he opens his prayer journal by saying, how long, O Lord, and why are you allowing this to happen? How many of you have been there before? That's where Habakkuk is. And throughout the book, we're in the last week of our series. We're going to be in chapter 3 of the little book of Habakkuk today as we bring this journey to a close. But let me say a few things. Uh, we've learned a lot about not only God's work in the world, but also about God's loving uh, desire to have relationship with his people. Right, so Habakkuk's complaint, and the complaint of many of you, uh, oftentimes how I even feel, is this. God, with all of this wickedness going on, where are you? Are you even listening? Do you even see what's going on? It's hard to see God's work in the world. And God faithfully gives Habakkuk a response, and that's what chapters 1 and 2 of the little book deal with. It deals with God uh, dialoguing with Habakkuk, saying, look, I am God, you are not. Trust me, walk with me, here's what I'm going to do. And we saw last week... Um, difficult passage of scripture, but really, really good nonetheless. We saw that God has a plan to make right all that is wrong in the world. So let me say this as encouragement to you today. Uh, the financial hardship you're going through, the uh, disease of a loved family member that you're walking through, the, the pain and the injustice, the, the evil that surrounds you day after day, that's going to come to an end. That will come to an end because God is a just God who will make right all that is wrong in the world. That's God's work. That's God's plan. And as Habakkuk's learning about God's plan, right, he learns what it looks like to walk in relationship with God. Maybe you've heard this a hundred times, you grew up hearing it, you grew up going to church and hearing this, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing this today, let me be the person to tell you God desires a relationship with you. God desires a relationship with you. The creator of the universe handcrafted you in his image. In his image and likeness, he values you and created you for relationship. God desires a relationship with you. 
God faithfully walked in relationship with Habakkuk and God faithfully walks in relationship with his people today. And as Habakkuk's walking in relationship, living by faith, not by sight, but by faith, by trust in the character of God, navigating the difficulties of life. How many of you know that Habakkuk's learning a lot about himself too? Uh, you can probably relate to this. Any type of relationship you have, whether it's uh, uh, with your spouse, whether it's with a, a friend, maybe it's a coworker. When you're getting to know the person, you're not only getting to know who that person is, but in the process, you're learning a lot about yourself too, right? That's where Habakkuk finds himself. As he's getting to know God, he's getting to know about himself as well. Maybe in that coworker relationship, you are learning a lot about that person, and you're also learning that you're not as patient as you maybe thought you were, right? Or maybe with your spouse, you're getting to know your spouse, it's awesome, you're growing in relationship and friendship with your spouse, but you're also realizing, you know what? Maybe I'm not as selfless as I thought I was before this whole marriage thing kicked off, right? Uh, we've all been there. I've definitely been there. Um, or maybe with a friend, you're realizing, man, I'm, I'm not as good of a friend as I gave myself credit for. Or maybe I'm not as funny as I thought I was, right? What I'm saying is when we grow in relationship with other people, we also learn a lot about ourselves and our position in that relationship and our character and our hearts and our motives, and as we wind down the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, the man who's been faithfully walking with God through pain, suffering, brokenness, and justice is not only learning about a great and good God, but he's also learning about him. And we find ourselves at a crossroads. Habakkuk finds himself at this pivotal point in his life and his relationship with God. And it's a point that all of us get to uh, if we're walking with the Lord. Habakkuk finds himself in this place where he realizes Either I have to adjust to God, or he's going to have to adjust to me. Either, either I have to adjust to God. This is who he is. This is what he's doing. Either I have to come in line with that, or I wait for him to adjust to me. Let me make this plain and clear. God adjusts to no one and for no one. God is who he says he is. God's eternal. We are not. God is the craftsman working all things for our good and his glory. We are not. God is the creator. We are his creation. God is the maker. We are what is made. We do not tell God who to adjust to, when to adjust to us, and how to adjust to us. God is God, and that's good news. That's good news. Habakkuk realizes, and he processes this on the pages of his prayer journal in Habakkuk 3. This idea that, look, God does not adjust to us, we adjust to him. We don't wait for God to adjust to us, we come in line with his purposes. That's the big idea of Habakkuk chapter 3. And this is going to maybe hit you in the heart a little bit. It's going to deal with some pride uh, in your life, maybe some areas where you, where you let God be God in this area of your heart, but maybe not in, in what you do on the weekends, or you let God be God in this area of your life, but not uh, in your work affairs. Whatever it might be, there are going to be some areas where God invites people, look, if you're going to walk in relationship with me, you have to understand that I'm the creator, you are what is created. I know what is best. Frankly, you don't. And Habakkuk comes to terms with that. Does that make sense? That's, that's where we find ourselves today, and that's how we close the book of Habakkuk. 
You can open to Habakkuk chapter 3, and before we dig into it, let me just tell you again how excited I am to be studying God's Word and going through a little book of the Bible like this. Uh, how many of you had on your summer bucket list, let's go through the book of Habakkuk? Probably none of you. I actually did. Like, I actually had this on my list for summer, and it's awesome. Like, I nerd out on this stuff. It's so fun. Uh, so, man, let's get in. Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to bring this epic journey with God, this epic battle, this wrestling between Habakkuk, the prophet, and God, our Lord. We're going to bring it to a close. We're going to wind down today with Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. We'll get to that word in a second. With that being said, as Habakkuk learns about God's work in the world, as Habakkuk processes the grief and suffering and pain in the world, what's the first thing he does according to chapter 3, verse 1? He goes to God in prayer. He goes to God in prayer. There are a couple reasons that Habakkuk, as he's processing God's work, goes to God in prayer. One, here's what prayer does for the people of God. It, it allows us to air out and, and work out our, and process our grieving and our mourning. Right, Because again, the whole premise of the book of Habakkuk and the very real aspect of all of our lives that there is suffering, there's injustice, there's pain, there's things we want to change. And Habakkuk understands that well, I have a God who's actually interested in me, and I have a God who hears me when I cry out, how long, O Lord, will you let the righteous suffer? We have a God who hears, and we have a God that likes to process grief with you and walk with you. So Habakkuk realizes, I can go to God and process my grief. But prayer also aligns and adjusts our will to that of God's. How many of you know that uh, prayer is not so much trying to get God to bend a knee to our desires and our purposes, but prayer is actually time spent in relationship and communion and fellowship with God so as to align our hearts to his good and perfect will. That's the purpose of prayer. And so Habakkuk, realizing who God is, says, I got to make an adjustment. I got to align with God's will. And the first place I'm going to go is prayer. And actually Habakkuk, the entire third chapter, 19 verses to close the book, is a prayer according to the prophet Habakkuk. He goes to God in prayer. Now that funny word, shigianoth, or whatever's going on here, uh, that's literally a uh, Old Testament's written in Hebrew, most of it. And, and so that's a Hebrew transliteration into English. Uh, many scholars, they, they like fight about this, argue about it, talk about it. Many of them think that this is a type of musical arrangement, kind of like how we have uh, bass clef, treble clef, or we have uh, different time signatures in our music uh, today. Uh, in the same way, this is a probably a musical arrangement, a Hebrew term for musical arrangement. And so this, many believe, Habakkuk 3 was actually sung in the temples and in the courts among God's people. So it's a song. So Habakkuk is not only praying, but dude's really brilliant. He's writing music as he's processing his relationship with God. Move on to verse 2. We see this prayer of humility before a great and good God. He begins his prayer by saying this, O Lord, I've Heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. Breathe life into your work. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. We're starting to see a transformation in the man Habakkuk. 
Recall or flip back to Habakkuk chapter 1, the opening four verses, the opening complaint of the book of Habakkuk. It looks a lot different than in chapter 3. Because in, in the first chapter, the opening complaint between Habakkuk and God is, how long, O Lord, will you allow this to happen and why are you letting this happen? Will you not bring judgment on the people who are doing evil? He says, look, justice is going forth distorted, twisted, perverted. Do you have any regard for your law? Do you have any regard for your people? That's Habakkuk's bold position before God in Habakkuk chapter 1. And now we see in Habakkuk 3, verse 2, a man who's walked with the Lord, who's getting to know the Lord. He actually says, God, in your wrath, would you remember mercy? Would you have mercy on me? Because you remember last week, uh, chapter 2, God said, I'm going to make right all that's wrong in the world, and I'm going to deal with the injustice in the world by dealing with those who are unjust. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to make right all that is wrong. I'm going to pour out my wrath on the wicked, God says. So Habakkuk, knowing this, says, please be merciful. He's getting to know his position before a great and good God. He's starting to realize, I'm no God at all. This God is no joke. I'm going to align myself with his heart and with his plans. So he humbles himself before God. And then the biggest chunk of scripture we're going to spend our time in today is verses 3 through 15 of Habakkuk chapter 3. And Habakkuk's still in prayer mode, but he's doing something maybe a little unique to us or something new to many of you. What he's doing is he's painting this picture and bringing to memory and remembrance the work of God in the world up to this point. Okay, so as he's shifting his focus in prayer, he's remembering all the works and acts and mighty acts of salvation in Israel's history, and he's recalling that as he prays personally. It's good to do that. It's good to read the Old Testament. It's good to read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, those really difficult books. It's good to read those things. Why? Because we get to know God in and through them, and it brings encouragement to us. So in verses 3 through 15, what we're going to walk through here in just a moment is Habakkuk calling to memory these big events, the events of the Exodus in the book of Exodus, the second book of your Bible. There's some uh, pointing and alluding to and recalling uh, the conquest in the promised land, Canaan. You can read about that in Deuteronomy and in, into Joshua. Um, so Habakkuk is calling to memory all these things, and he's painting a picture of this, and hear me on this. He's painting a picture of God confronting the wickedness in the world. He's saying, if God did this at this point in history in the past and saved his people, he's going to do it again with the wickedness and the evil and injustice in my situation, too. Habakkuk's preaching that to himself as he sings this song and prays this prayer of remembrance. Are you ready? We're digging in. We're not coming up for air for a few minutes, okay? So let's. Let's go for it. Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Here's his prayer. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. These are physical geographical locations in Habakkuk's day in the uh, ancient Near East. And so what Habakkuk's saying right out of the gate is this. God's domain is not just in the heavens, but God actually is present and active and, and uh, intimately acquainted with the affairs of the nations and the affairs of people today. He's, he's intimately involved with the actions and decisions humans make today. He's in physical locations. God came from these locations, he says. Continuing, 
God's splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And then he describes God as he came to confront evil. He says, God's brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. God stood and he measured the earth. He looked and he shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. This is Habakkuk saying, God is really, really great. How many of you know, verse 6, if you can stand and measure something, that means it's within arm's reach and it's not bigger than you are. Okay, Habakkuk says, God stood without moving, measured the breadth of the earth. God is great and he is grand. Then in verse 7, Habakkuk says, I looked out and I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Uh, Kushan and Midian, these were two enemies in ancient Israel. They were opposers to God's plan and God's purposes through his covenant people, Israel. And so when Habakkuk says, I saw their tents in affliction and their uh, curtains, they were trembling, he's saying, God is a warrior who's going to go and, and wage war on the nations who oppose God's plan. And we also saw that a little bit in Habakkuk chapter 2 with God giving the difficult verdict to uh, Babylon as guilty. He's going to do that for all of Israel's enemies and all those people that uh, stand in opposition to God. He will make right all that is wrong in the world. Continuing verse 8, Habakkuk asks a question. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountain saw you and ride. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. Habakkuk saying, when God comes to confront evil, he is like a warrior confronting evil. He has many bows. He has many arrows. He has an army and, uh, with his chariots and with his horses, and he will prevail when he goes to battle against the wickedness and evil in the world. Continuing on, verse 11, Habakkuk says, When God came to confront evil, the sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. So not only is God sovereign over and will bring justice to the nations, right? These uh, Babylon and, and Kushan and Midian and all, all these areas, God, God is also over and orders the cosmos. The sun, the moon, the universe obeys and comes into humble submission before a great and good God. That's what Habakkuk's saying in verse 11. Continuing in verse 12, God marched through the earth in fury. He threshed the nations in anger. Habakkuk says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Let me say this, God fights on behalf of his people. God fights on behalf of his people. Moses, in the book of Exodus, he knew this. Joshua, who succeeded Moses, leading Israel into the promised land, Joshua knew this. King David, the most revered of Israel's kings, when they went to battle against these nations trying to do harm to them, David knew that it was God who fights for the victory, and it's God who keeps his people safe from harm. And let me encourage you today, 
God fights for you. God fights for your family. God fights for your succeeding in God, God, God fights for your, your strength and God fights for you to carry on. In fact, let me say this. This is a, a, a side note, but as Christians, we have Jesus Christ who is the great high priest for his people. John 17 is a prayer that he not only prayed once, but is constantly praying as a priest, as an intermediary between God and man. Jesus is in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father praying for you. We have a God who fights for us and we have a Lord Jesus Christ who prays for us and guides us and strengthens us as his people. Let that encourage you today. You're not alone. People might have abandoned you. You're not alone. The job might have fallen through. You're not alone. God fights for you. Jesus prays for you. The Holy Spirit empowers you. That's good news and that was good news in Habakkuk's day. We bring this prayer of remembrance to a close with verses 14 and 15. Habakkuk says, You, O Lord, pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. God is going to make right all that is wrong in the world by dealing with those who oppose his plan and oppose his people. And then in verse 15, You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. In Israelite thought, in Habakkuk's day, the sea was symbolic and represented uncharted, chaotic territory. You ever been out to a coast and the the ocean? You go as far as I I can see and as far as uh, the horizon meets the uh, waters. It's chaos. It's bigger than you. Israelites would have understood that. And so when they read this passage of God trampling the sea with his horses, here's how they would have read that. God wins over chaos. God prevails in evil. God will make right all that is wrong in the world. God is over the chaos. God is over and above that which is evil and in opposition to his work. That's Habakkuk's prayer of remembrance. Let me just say a quick Quick side note on this, and we're going to move on as we wrap up our study in the book of Habakkuk today. But, but let me say this. Um, maybe if you're honest with yourself, you're wondering and you're thinking, okay, that was really cool, but how is that relevant for my situation? If we're honest, I think we've all been there before. I don't have time to study theology. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. There's too many pressing things going on. Do you see my circumstances? I got to work. I got to make money. I have to do all these things. I don't have time to just sit and dwell in the presence of the Lord. So we say, I've been there. You've probably been there. Let me say this. The Bible and Habakkuk specifically does not think like that at all. Habakkuk has his final word, so to speak, in the last chapter of Habakkuk. And he takes the majority of the time to not be man-centered, not be problem-centered, not be task-list-oriented, but what does he do? To say, let's put that aside and let's behold the God who is above all and in all and through all anyway. Here's the principle, here's the wisdom, here's what's going on. When we take time to behold a great and good God through his word, in prayer, in real time with him, 
we're not just skirting our other priorities. What we're doing is we're focusing on God because it's he who aligns the rest of our priorities. When we focus on God, it puts our problems and our pain and our brokenness and our priorities, it puts them in perspective. Because let's be honest, the pain and the problems and the suffering that you're facing and that you're going to go home to today are not going to be resolved just from this half an hour here together with the church today. But what can happen is God can empower you and open your eyes to see your problems in a new perspective and see the God who is above all and transcendent through all of your problems. And you can behold a God who is great and good over your circumstances. It aligns our perspective. Habakkuk is adjusting to God. When we take time to behold the greatness of our God, we're not wasting time. We're spending time with the one with uh, the one for whom our souls and our hearts so desperately long for. And we're getting this perspective or we're getting some lenses if you will through which we can view our problems and our pain and our suffering in the right perspective. Jesus said it this way, um, follow me, seek first the kingdom, and all these things should be added to you. Let me say this, when we focus on God, when we take time to pray and worship our God, that's not time wasted. That's, that's, that's heart work that aligns our hearts with the will and work of God. It gives us a new perspective. That's what Habakkuk saw as valuable. Verse 16, Habakkuk wraps up with a prayer of worship. There's a lot of doom and gloom uh, in the world today. A lot of doom and gloom in the book of Habakkuk. Finally, Habakkuk's able to muster a praise. Verse 16, in response to who God is, Habakkuk says, I hear my body physically trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs are trembling beneath me. Yet, yet, I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon, who, uh, come upon people who invade us. Here's what Habakkuk is saying. God, thank you for showing me a little bit of your plan and your work. I still have some work to do because I'm not a fan. Let me say this, walking with God through pain and suffering is not a one-time experience, it's a lifelong journey. There's still a lot of hard work ahead of Habakkuk that he has to do. There's still a lot of adjusting and aligning that he has to do. There's still a lot of his heart that he has to bring in alignment with the will and the work of God. But he says, I'm going to wait quietly. We're seeing this transformation, we're seeing him taking steps in the right direction toward aligning his heart with that of God's. And now one of the, verses 17 through 19, one of the finest, most articulate, beautiful sections in all of Scripture that praises the greatness and goodness of God. This is what we've been waiting for, at least in my mind. Okay, this is the capstone of the book of Habakkuk. Here's what he says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Let me pause there before moving on. 
Habakkuk, actually like many North Dakotan Minnesotans here in the Midwest, lived in an agricultural society. And so for Habakkuk to say, fig tree's not going to blossom, there's not going to be uh, food in the field, there's not going to be fruit on the vine, I'm not going to have any livestock, that's him saying, I will have nothing. He said, if this comes to pass, I'm going to be stripped of everything. My family, my wealth, my protection, my dignity, my, my food, my provision, everything will be stripped from me if verse 17 comes to pass. And in verse 18, he says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, he is my strength. He makes my feet light like the deer's. He makes me tread not in valleys but on high places. Habakkuk understands after undergoing a transformation what it means to walk in relationship with God by faith. The prophet who started off as man-centered, God, what are you doing? I don't understand it. Why are you doing this to me? Resolves and ends being God-centered. He takes time to focus on the greatness and goodness of God. Habakkuk says, my faith, my trust, my paycheck, my family, that's not mine. That comes from the Lord. And he says, I'm going to humble myself to a great and good God with things that are out of my control. Is there still pain, suffering, brokenness, injustice, poverty in the world? In your life, we can say an emphatic yes. Same with Habakkuk. He was waiting for the day of trouble to come. That is, he was waiting for, as chapter 1 says, the mighty Babylonian empire to come and wipe his people clean. But he says, yet I will rejoice. Why? Because he knows who God is now. He's been marked by wrestling with God. He's been marked by trial. He's been marked by suffering, and he's walked with God through it. Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk has some scars, but he's walking with a great and good God. He says, my faith isn't in what I can see. My faith isn't what I can accumulate. My faith isn't in what... I don't have my faith is in the unchanging character of the God of my salvation. So as we conclude, let me, let me say this. God is great, and this is good news. In Habakkuk's day, Babylon did not decide when and whom they would take out. God says in chapter 1, verse 6, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, and I will bring them to you. In other words, Babylon doesn't, doesn't decide what to do, when to do it. They only work under my sovereign hand. God orchestrates the affairs of nations. How much more can he orchestrate the, the provision 
and the direction of your own life. We have a great God. He is powerful enough to do what he says he can do. No one on heaven or on earth can overpower the God of the Bible. God is great. We also know that God is not just great, he's good. If God were great but he wasn't good, that means he's a power-hungry deity that has no regard for humans. Let me tell you this, God desires a relationship with you. He's good, meaning he, he's patient and walks with his people in suffering. He walks with his people. He desires relationship with his people. He loves his people. He doesn't give up on his people. His covenant faithfulness endures forever and ever. The steadfast love of the Lord carries his people. God is not just great, he's also good. And let me say this as encouragement for the people of God, as encouragement for my own heart today in the midst of pain, suffering, and brokenness. Habakkuk wrote for a time beyond his own. And Habakkuk clearly, like the rest of the Old Testament does, points us beyond their time to Jesus. To Jesus. God is so great and God is so good that he heard and he saw the pain and the suffering and the wickedness of humanity and said, I'm not going to just stand or, or, or be removed from the situation. I'm going to enter into humanity's suffering and brokenness by sending my only son, Jesus Christ, who left heaven to assume human flesh to be acquainted with the very suffering that you are walking through today. That's the distinctive of the God we worship. Jesus Christ, the God-man, came to live a life under the law, came to live a life filled with brokenness, pain, loss, and suffering so that we could have a great high priest who knows how to sympathize with our weaknesses. And let me tell you this, Jesus tasted the wrath of God on the cross. Jesus tasted the pit of hell, the, the apex of suffering on the cross for his people. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this to say walk in relationship with a God who is great over your suffering, who's good in the midst of your suffering, and who's acquainted with your suffering at the cross of Jesus Christ. God hears you. God has regard for you. God desires relationship with you. Would you align and adjust your hearts to walk with God and would you walk by faith in Jesus Christ? Let me wrap up by saying this. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of brokenness, the midst of pain, the midst of loss, disease, poverty, in the midst of all of that, you can take heart. God is great and God is good.